0: Book Three, Chapter Six of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Three, Chapter Six The Porter, The Girl, and The Gladiator the door of diomed's house stood open and Medon, the old slave sat at the bottom of the steps by which you ascended to the mansion that luxurious mansion of the rich merchant of pompeii is still to be seen just without the gates of the city at the commencement of the street of tombs it was a gay neighborhood despite the dead on the opposite side but at some yards nearer the gate was a spacious hostelry at which those brought by business or by pleasure to pompeii often stopped to refresh themselves. In the space before the entrance of the inn now stood wagons and carts and chariots, some just arrived, some just quitting, in all the bustle of an animated and popular resort of public entertainment. Before the door, some farmers, seated on a bench by a small circular table, were talking over their morning cups, on the affairs of their calling on the side of the door itself was painted gaily and freshly the eternal sign of the checkers by the roof of the inn stretched a terrace on which some females wives of the farmers above mentioned were some seated some leaning over the railing and conversing with their friends below in a deep recess at a little distance was a covered seat in which some two or three poorer travellers were resting themselves and shaking the dust from their garments on the other side stretched a wide space, originally the burial ground of a more ancient race than the present desidens of Pompeii, and now converted into a ustrinum, or place for the burning of the dead. Above this rose the terraces of a gay villa, half hid by trees. The tombs themselves, with their graceful and varied shapes, the flowers and the foliage that surrounded them, made no melancholy feature in the prospect hard by the gate of the city in a small niche stood the still form of the well-disciplined roman sentry the sun shining brightly on his polished crest and the lance on which he leaned the gate itself was divided into three arches the centre one for vehicles the others for foot-passengers and on either side rose the mass of walls which girt the city composed patched repaired at a thousand different epochs according as war, time, or the earthquake had shattered that vain protection. At frequent intervals rose square towers, whose summits broke in a picturesque rudeness the regular line of the wall, and contrasted well with the modern buildings gleaming whitely by. The curving road, which in that direction leads from Pompeii to Herculaneum, wound out of sight amidst hanging vines, above which frowned the sullen majesty of Vesuvius hast thou heard the news old medon said a young woman with a pitcher in her hand as she paused by diomed's door to gossip a moment with the slave ere she repaired to the neighbouring inn to fill the vessel and coquette with the travellers news what news said the slave raising his eyes moodily from the ground why there passed through the gate this morning no doubt ere thou wert well awake such a visitor to pompeii ay said the slave indifferently yes A present from the noble Pomponianus. A present? I thought thou sayest a visitor. It is both visitor and present. Know, O dull and stupid, that it is a most beautiful young tiger for our approaching games in the amphitheater. Hear you that, Medan? Oh, what pleasure! I declare I shall not sleep a wink till I see it. They say it has such a roar. "'Poor fool!' said Medan, sadly and cynically. "'Fool? "'Me no fool, old cur. "'It is a pretty thing, a tiger, "'especially if we could but find somebody for him to eat. "'We have now a lion and a tiger. "'Only consider that, Medan, "'and for want of two good criminals, "'perhaps we shall be forced to see them eat each other. "'By the by, your son is a gladiator, "'a handsome man and a strong.' "'Can you not persuade him to fight the tiger? "'Do now. You would oblige me mightily. "'Nay, you would be a benefactor to the whole town.' "'Va, va!' said the slave, with great asperity. "'Think of thine own danger, ere thou thus prasst of my poor boy's death.' "'My own danger,' said the girl, frightened and looking hastily around. "'Avert the omen. Let thy words fall on thine own head.' and the girl, as she spoke, touched a talisman suspended round her neck. Thine own danger? What danger threatens me? Had the earthquake but a few nights since, no warning, said Medan. Has it not a voice? Did it not say to us all, Prepare for death, the end of all things is at hand? Bah, stuff, said the young woman, settling the folds of her tunic. Now thou talkest as they say the Nazarenes talked methinks thou art one of them well i can prat with thee gray croaker no more thou growest worse and worse vale o hercules send us a man for the lion and another for the tiger ho ho for the merry merry show with a forest of faces in every row lo the swordsman bold as the son of alcmena sweeps side by side o'er the hushed arena talk while you may you will hold your breath when they meet in the grasp of the glowing death tramp tramp how gaily they go ho ho for the merry merry show chanting in a silver and clear voice this feminine ditty and holding up her tunic from the dusty road the young woman stepped lightly across the crowded hostelry my poor son said the slave half aloud is it for things like this thou art to be butchered Oh, faith of christ i could worship thee in all sincerity were it but for the horror which thou inspirest for these bloody lists the old man's head sank dejectedly on his breast he remained silent and absorbed but every now and then with the corner of his sleeve he wiped his eyes his heart was with his son he did not see the figure that now approached from the gate with a quick step and a somewhat fierce and reckless gait and carriage He did not lift his eyes till the figure paused opposite the place where he sat, and with a soft voice addressed him by the name of, "'Father!' "'My boy, my Lydon, is it indeed thou?' said the old man joyfully. "'Oh, thou wert present to my thoughts!' "'I am glad to hear it, my father,' said the gladiator, respectfully touching the knees and the beard of the slave. "'And soon may I be always present with thee, not in thought only.' "'Yes, my son.' "'but not in this world,' replied the slave mournfully. "'Talk not thus, O my sire. "'Look cheerfully, for I feel so. "'I am sure that I shall win the day, "'and then the gold I gain buys thy freedom. "'O father, it was but a few days since that I was taunted, "'by one, too, whom I would gladly have undeceived, "'for he is more generous than the rest of his equals. "'He is not Roman. "'He is of Athens. "'By him I was taunted with the lust of gain.' when I demanded what sum was the prize of victory. Alas, he knew little of the soul of Leyden. My boy, my boy, said the old slave, as, slowly ascending the steps, he conducted his son to his own little chamber, communicating with the entrance hall, which in this villa was the peristyle, not the atrium. You may see it now. It is the third floor to the right on entering. The first door conducts to the staircase. The second is but a false recess, in which there stood a statue of bronze. "'Generous, affectionate, pious are thy motives,' said Medon, when they were thus secured from observation. "'Thy deed itself is guilt. Thou art to risk thy blood for thy father's freedom. That might be forgiven. But the prize of victory is the blood of another. Oh, that is a deadly sin. No object can purify it. Forbear, forbear! Rather would I be a slave for ever than purchase liberty on such terms!' hush my father replied Lydon, somewhat impatiently thou hast picked up in this new creed of thine of which i pray thee not to speak to me for the gods that gave me strength denied me wisdom and i understand not one word of what thou often preachest to me thou hast picked up i say in this new creed some singular fantasies of right and wrong pardon me if i offend thee but reflect against whom shall i contend oh couldst thou know those wretches with whom for thy sake i assort thou wouldst think i purified earth by removing one of them beasts whose very lips drop blood things all savage undisciplined in their very courage ferocious heartless senseless no tie of life can bind them they know not fear it is true but neither know they gratitude nor charity nor love they are made but for their own career to slaughter without pity to die without dread can thy gods whosoever they be look with wrath on a conflict with such as these and in such a cause o my father wherever the powers above gaze down on the earth they behold no duty so sacred so sanctifying as the sacrifice offered to an aged parent by the piety of a grateful son The poor old slave, himself deprived of the lights of knowledge, and only late a convert to the Christian faith, knew not with what arguments to enlighten an ignorance at once so dark, and yet so beautiful in its error. His first impulse was to throw himself on his son's breast, his next to start away to wring his hands, and in the attempt to reprove, his broken voice lost itself in weeping. And if, resumed Leiden, if thy Deity, methinks thou wilt own but one, be indeed that benevolent and pitying power which thou assertest him to be, he will know also that thy very faith in him first confirmed me in that determination thou blamest. How! what mean you? said the slave. Why, thou knowest that I, sold in my childhood as a slave, was set free at Rome by the will of my master, whom I had been fortunate enough to please. I hastened to Pompeii to see thee. I found thee already aged and infirm, under the yoke of a capricious and pampered lord. Thou hast lately adopted this new faith, and its adoption made thy slavery doubly painful to thee. It took away all the softening charm of custom, which reconciles us so often to the worst didst thou not complain to me that thou wert compelled to offices that were not odious to thee as a slave but guilty as a nazarene didst thou not tell me that thy soul shook with remorse when thou wert compelled to place even a crumb of cake before the lares that watch over yon impluvium, that thy soul was torn by a perpetual struggle didst thou not tell me that even by pouring wine before the threshold and calling on the name of some grecian deity Thou didst fear that thou wert incurring penalties worse than those of Tantalus, an eternity of tortures more terrible than those of the Tartarian fields? Didst thou not tell me this? I wondered, I could not comprehend. Nor, by Hercules, could I now. But I was thy son, and my sole task was to compassionate and to relieve. Could I hear thy groans? Could I witness thy mysterious horrors, thy constant anguish, and remain inactive? no by the immortal gods the thought struck me like light from olympus i had no money but i had strength and youth these were thy gifts i could sell these in my turn for thee i learned the amount of thy ransom i learned that the usual prize of a victorious gladiator would doubly pay it i became a gladiator i linked myself with those accursed men scorning loathing while i joined i acquired their skill blessed be the lesson it shall teach me to free my father oh that thou couldst hear Olympus, sighed the old man more and more affected by the virtue of his son but not less strongly convinced of the criminality of his purpose i will hear the whole world talk if thou wilt answered the gladiator gaily but not till thou art a slave no more beneath thy own roof my father thou shalt puzzle this dull brain all day long ay and all night too if it give thee pleasure oh such a spot as i have chalked out for thee it is one of the nine hundred and ninety-nine shops of the old julia felix in the sunny part of the city where thou mayest bask before the door in the day and i will sell the oil and the wine for thee my father and then please venus or if it does not please her since thou lovest not her name it is all one to leyden then i say perhaps thou mayest have a daughter too to tend thy grey hairs and hear shrill voices at thy knee that shall call thee Leiden's father ah we shall be so happy the prize can purchase all cheer thee cheer up my sire and now i must away day wears, the Lanista waits me come thy blessing as Leiden thus spoke he had already quitted the dark chamber of his father and speaking eagerly though in a whispered tone they now stood at the same place in which we introduced the porter at his post oh bless thee bless thee my brave boy said meedon fervently and may the great power that reads all hearts see the nobleness of thine and forgive its error the tall shape of the gladiator passed swiftly down the path the eyes of the slave followed its light but stately steps till the last glimpse was gone and then sinking once more on his seat his eyes again fastened themselves on the ground his form mute and unmoving as a thing of stone his heart who in our happier age can even imagine its struggles its commotion may i enter said a sweet voice is thy mistress julia within the slave mechanically motioned to the visitor to enter but she who addressed him could not see the gesture she repeated her question timidly but in a louder voice have i not told thee said the slave peevishly enter thanks said the speaker plaintively and the slave roused by the tone looked up and recognized the blind flower girl sorrow can sympathize with affliction he raised himself and guided her steps to the head of the adjacent staircase by which you descended to julia's apartment where summoning a female slave he consigned her to the charge of the blind girl End of Book 3, Chapter 6